This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Hallelujah. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 19 this morning. I want to start a new series on the book of uh, Ephesians. And uh, before we get into the, the letter itself, we want to kind of set it up, introduce it, and explain uh, the purpose for the letter and, and some of the background information concerning it. So Acts chapter 19 tells us about Paul's first uh, um, visit and ministry experience in the, uh, the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a seaport city. It was a, uh, a major, um, well, it was a major city of the day. It would have been the Los Angeles or the New York City of its day. Um, it was um, uh, very much a trade city because it was a seaport located on the, the sea. And uh, uh, as a result, there was a lot of uh, different types of doctrines, philosophies, religions, uh, beliefs, and so forth. People traveled by land and by sea to get to and, and to pass through the city. And uh, it's, it's not surprising that it would be a place where uh, God would send Paul as a, as a major city to start a church and to do a work there. But you also have to realize that it would be because of all the things that are going on uh, there in the city and the different diversions and so forth, it'd be one of the hardest places to start a church because there are so many distractions. Well, that was the situation where Ephesus was concerned. So we'll start in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. I won't read through the whole chapter, but we'll read down through verse 20. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. doesn't say how he found them, but he found some. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now let me stop right there, and I'll, I'll take some time this morning. I'm not going to try to get through but maybe a couple of verses of the book of Ephesus, uh, of, of the book of Ephesians this morning. So, uh, so I want to take some time and, and, uh, and just break some of these things down. Notice that one of the first things that the Bible identifies in Paul's visit to Ephesus is that he saw a difference in salvation and being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Paul's first question to people that he assumes are believers, now he finds out that they're not saved, but they're living a life that it would indicate that they are. And so he asked them, Assuming that they're Christians, he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost? Well, he can't be talking about salvation because he said, since you believed. So what Holy Ghost is he talking about? He's talking about the Acts 2 experience where they were all filled with the Spirit of God and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Two different experiences, salvation and being filled with the Holy Ghost. And they said... Uh, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Well, he knows right away they're not saved. Because who, be, who could possibly be saved without hearing about the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost is the one that does the work in salvation. So then he asked them, under what then were you baptized? And they said, under John's baptism. Talking about John the Baptist. So he said, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, the part that's left out here is that he said, well, John spoke of Jesus coming, but Jesus has come and gone. So when they heard that, they gladly received it and were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came upon them 
and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Now, please notice verse 5 tells us when they were saved, they received the word about Jesus, were baptized in the name of Jesus. That's salvation. It's not talking about water baptism, although they may have been baptized in water. But Paul didn't put too much of an emphasis on that. Paul wrote to the letter, his letters to the church, he indicates that in most cases, most places that he went to, he didn't baptize anybody in water at all. He left that to other people to do. So the baptism here that's being spoken of is probably salvation and not water baptism. We know it includes salvation. We just don't know if water baptism was attached to it at that point in time. So verse 5, they're saved. Verse 6, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Two separate experiences. I wish the church would get that. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's not for everybody or that's not for today. Didn't Jesus say the Holy Ghost would abide with you forever? Well, then how can anything that Jesus said the Holy Ghost would do not abide or not continue forever? Yet a lot of people in the church say, well, God doesn't work the same way as he used to. Well, when did he change? And if he changed, we need to let him know because he doesn't know that he has. Because he said very specifically, I'm the Lord, I change not. So you can believe it any way you want to, but this is the way the Bible says it. When Paul had laid his hands on, upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and how do we know they were filled? And they spake with tongues and prophesied. Now, folks, this is 20 years after the Acts 2 experience. And the, the experience of being filled with the Holy Ghost has the same evidence 20 years later that it had in Acts chapter 2 when it first began, and that was they spake with tongues as the Holy Ghost gave them utterance. And all the men were about 12. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly unto the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, that's always going to be the case, not everybody's going to believe, doesn't change the truth, but not everybody chooses to believe it. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separating the disciples disputed daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Now, why did he separate the disciples? Because, folks, you hang around people that don't believe like you do and their unbelief will rub off on you. And this continued by the space of two years so that all they that which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus both Jews and Greeks. Now, let me read that again in verse 10. Paul says in ver- or it says of Paul in verse 9 that he separated the disciples. In other words, he told them, keep this in mind, he told them, you need to not associate or disassociate yourself with people that won't believe the truth. That doesn't mean you can't minister to them. That doesn't mean you can't be acquaintances with them. But it does mean you can't join yourself to them. I wish Christians had that much sense today. A lot of Christians lose their testimony. In, in many cases, their faith is hindered, diminished, because of the friends or the associates that, you, that they choose. What's the old saying? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That's still true today. Now, notice what happens when he separates the believers and teaches them, continues to teach them and put the right things into them. It says that not only does this church begin to grow and begin to flourish, but also it becomes a ministry headquarters. Notice it says in verse 10, this continued by the space of two years so that all they which dwelt in Asia, not in Ephesus, Ephesus is one of the chief cities in Asia, but not all those that dwell in Ephesus, all those that dwelt in Asia, 
heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, what churches were in Asia? Well, you remember in the book of Revelation? Jesus appears to John on the Isle of Patmos and tells us some things about the end, but before that, he gives him a message for seven churches. Those are seven churches in Asia. I don't know if I can name them all, but the first one is Ephesus, Sardis, Pergamos, Thyatira, Laodicea, and a couple others. <laughs> Philadelphia. Philadelphia is one of them I left out. Smyrna. Let me ask you a question. Which of those cities do we have record in the book of Acts that Paul ever went to? Ephesus is the only one on the list. How did these churches get started? Well, we've got historical documents that tell us specifically for a couple, but, uh, but give us a pretty good indication for some of the others that it was Paul's ministry team, specifically one man named Epaphras, that was instrumental in the starting of several of these churches. Maybe all of them. But the Bible's telling us that Paul established in a two-year two and three-month period, Paul established a ministry headquarters that reached a continent. Tell me that's not the work of God. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that by or from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now this, um, uh, this is not the way that most of us think of laying hands on handkerchiefs and taking them to people and stuff like this. These, uh, these words that are translated handkerchiefs and aprons are work clothes. Paul's working. He's making tents. And somehow or another, and, and there's some indication, we don't know for sure, but there's some indication that it happened without anybody's knowledge. How would anybody know to lay hands on a handkerchief and take it to a sick person? The closest thing that we've got to, to, to any uh, any similar event was when people would come and touch Jesus' garment. But there's no indication that, that Jesus ever said that your garments will carry the power of God like mine or that you'll lay hands on cloth or handkerchiefs and take them to the sick person and, sick, and sickness will depart. There's no indication of that whatsoever. Now, Jesus did say the same works that I did, you'll do also. And even greater works than these shall you do. But tradition, and this is tradition, it's not history, we don't know this for sure. But tradition tells us that Paul's um, work apron as a tent maker was somehow touched by somebody that had a sickness or a disease and it left them. And so from that point, everybody started trying to get everything they could that Paul had touched or sweat on. And we think of real, you know, sanitary conditions where you bring up a nice brand new handkerchief and lay hands on it and things like that and thank God that works but this again the tradition tells us that it was these were things that Paul had sweat on there was something of him that went into the these uh, handkerchiefs or aprons whatever they might have been well once that started happening everybody realized not only the power of the man that's speaking to them but the word that he's speaking being the truth Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, 
Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So God wrote special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over him, over them, excuse me, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Folks, that'll tell you everything you need to know about dealing with the devil. Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I wonder if that got around town. And this was known to all the Jews and the Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Now, that would be a great end of the story right there, but that's not the end of the story. Notice what happens next. It says, and many that believed. What is he talking about? Many that believed. He's talking about people that are already in the church. This may include people that that, uh, had not chosen to believe in Jesus, but this event with the uh, evil spirit jumping on this man and what he said that we just read before may have pushed them over the edge. But it's also talking about people in the church. Many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts, that means occult practices and ritualistic stuff, brought their books together and burned them before all the men and counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I've got a question to ask you. What are church people doing with occult stuff anyway? Do you remember back over in verse 9 where it says that when divers hardened themselves or were hardened and believed not but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he, Paul, departed from them and separated the disciples? What's he doing? He's trying to get them away from the world. Well, even though he was able to separate them from people of the world that refused to believe, he didn't get the world out of them. That's something only you can do for yourself. And it took this special event, it took this miraculous occurrence to cause people, please listen to what I'm saying, to place Christianity, to place their relationship with Jesus in the priority that it was supposed to hold all the time. The place of importance of their relationship with Jesus was gained only after this miraculous occurrence where these seven guys tried to cast the devil out of somebody using a name that they did not have a relationship with. Now, the Bible tells us that's not the end of Paul's time in in, uh, Ephesus. And and this doesn't cover the whole of the time that he was there in Ephesus. Most uh, Bible scholars agree that Paul was there anywhere from three years to three and a half years where some of these other events took place during the time where some of these other events took place. Uh, It tells about a riot 
and things that took place after that. We won't go into the detail and read that. But uh, with that in mind, I want you to turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1 now. Here's the background for Paul's time in Ephesus, the only time that we know of that he was in Ephesus. Now, uh, not too long afterwards, after he leaves, he comes back through there and comes to a, um, a close proximity to town, and he sends for the elders of the church at Ephesus, those that he left in charge after he, after he departed the city. And he shared some things with them, but we don't have any record that he ever went back to the city of Ephesus. We don't have any record in, uh, in any kind of documentation whatsoever, certainly not the book of Acts, that Paul was ever in Ephesus any other time except that one period for anywhere from two and a half to three and a half years. Now, the book that he writes, the letter that he writes, Paul identifies was written when he was a prisoner. He mentions three times in the book of Ephesians that he was a prisoner. Well, there's only two times that we have record of that Paul was a prisoner. One's in Acts chapter 24 and the other's in Acts chapter 28. Now, both of those were two-year periods. So the question is, during which of those two-year periods was he, uh, did he author the book of Ephesians? Well, with the things that are taking place and the fact that we know uh, the chronology or the, uh, the date of the writing of some of the other letters, I choose to believe that it was during his last imprisonment. Now, what uh, uh, occasioned this letter being written? The book of Ephesians is different than any other letter that Paul ever wrote. Every other letter he wrote to the church is to address an issue or a problem that's taking, taking place or going on in that church. The book of Ephesians doesn't address any problem. It's a letter whose theme is the church. And there's no problem that he addresses. But if you read the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians, you'll see they're parallel letters. They talk about virtually the same thing in almost the same order. So since the book of Colossians was written, or the letter to the Colossian church was written to address a problem, why is there the difference? Well, let's start with Colossians. Paul says that Epaphras brought him news of the Colossian church. This is Epaphras that was one of the ministry team, maybe the leader of the ministry team that went and helped start some of the churches in Asia. And uh, Epaphras, apparently, brings Paul word of a new doctrine that's come in and is attempting to destroy the church. Now, we don't have any, uh, any record that Paul was in Colossae either. We're, we do have historical documents that indicate that Epaphras was one of the, the uh, main founders of that church. Pretty solid documents on that in that case. And Epaphras was from Colossae, the city of Colossae. So he went back home and started a church. Well, who is Epaphras? We don't know. There's no mention made of him other than, than well, there's three times he's mentioned, two times in the book of Colossians, one time in the book of Philemon, the letter he wrote to Philemon. But other than, than just Paul saying he's one of our fellow servants, that's all we know. But here's a guy who's barely mentioned that we have historical documents that indicate he started churches, some of the main churches that are referenced in the, in the New Testament. Well, apparently, Epaphras brings back word, at least according to what Paul said, he brings back word of the state of the church in Colossae. And he lets him know about some doctrine that is, has crept into the church that uh, the devil is trying, using to try to destroy the church. Now, this doctrine is a, a combination of Judaism and paganism that emphasizes to a great degree angels and demons. 
And that's why Paul writes about the, the hierarchy or the structure of evil spirits and about Jesus' lordship over them. The whole purpose is for the Colossian church that he's trying to dispel this notion that there are evil unseen spirits that, they, that the church needs to pay homage to in some way or another, which is what this doctrine was um, suggesting or teaching that they should do. Now, let's stop here for a minute and talk a little bit more. What was Paul's main message? Salvation by grace. What was Paul's doctrinal position in every other letter that he wrote, except the Colossians and the Ephesians, in every other letter that he wrote to the church, what was his position, his doctrinal position or emphasis? Well, salvation by faith. Not by works, but by faith. Because Judaism was the one thing that he was combating. Now, folks, you need to realize Judaism, Jew and Gentile, the Jew and Gentile situation in, in, uh, in Paul's day is something that most of us can't really relate to. So let's put it in terms that we can relate to. Let's consider that the Gentile situation would be like the Iranians and the Jewish situation would be like, the, like Israel today. Can you imagine under any circumstance where the nation of Israel and the nation of Iran would come together and be friends? That's what Paul is teaching that has happened through the blood of Jesus. Now, the Jews didn't just start being persecuted in World War II. We know of the Holocaust, and we think of it because we have some kind of historical context to that. But the Jews have been persecuted from the beginning of time, or beginning of the Jewish race. And because they've been uh, persecuted, because they've been um, run out of country after country after country, it was a way of life for them once they rebelled against God and, and uh, the, the curse of disobedience came upon them. Because of that, they had enemies all over the world. And so they recognized, and that for, that's one of the reasons why the Jews kind of went underground as far as being Jews in many countries and in many situations, many periods of time. Because they knew that they were hated as a people. Well, Paul is coming along and he's saying that the blood of Jesus has made us equal. Jew and, Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek are, are one and the same by the blood of Jesus. Well, if you're a Jew of, uh, of the nation of Israel, physical descendant of the nation of Israel, and you know that everybody has been your enemy, now all of a sudden you're supposed to forget that and be friends with everybody, it was tough for the Jews. Now, not impossible. Paul had to do it. And it, and it was something that was certainly attainable. But you could see it was culturally opposite to everything that they had experienced well as a result the jews fought against paul's ministry tooth and nail they did everything they could to try to destroy paul's ministry when they found out they could not prove it all together they said well okay this jesus guy he's okay but you got to follow the law of moses too that progressed in Colossae, apparently to something where not only was the church being commanded to follow the law of moses along with their christian beliefs but also to pay homage to these evil spirits who are still operating in the world. Now, one of the great dilemmas in the body of Christ today is if God is in control, if God is all-powerful, then why do the bad things happen in the earth that happen? Well, you'd have to be kind of stupid not to realize that there are evil forces operating in the world. The thing that, that's behind and, and motivates some of that is the failure to recognize evil in the world, the place of evil in the world. There's real evil out there, folks. 
And it's raising its head and it's growing stronger and stronger and stronger the further we go. There is real evil out there. Well, as a result, this this mix of paganism and Judaism came into Colossae and say, well, everybody can see there's evil in the world. And so we as as members of this human race are going to have to do something to appease those evil spirits. Because they, and and you can readily see that the the basic foundational um, point behind all of that is that Jesus is not enough. The name of Jesus is not all-powerful. And Jesus is not the head or the Lord of all things. Now, Paul told the Romans that that, that there's one Lord, one baptism, one faith, and so forth. He has hinted at the fact that Jesus is over all. But only in the letters to the Colossians and the Ephesians does he talk about Jesus being the Lord of principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. That's what these letters are for, specifically the Colossian letters. It's to straighten the church out and say, wait a minute, Jesus is the head of of the church and he's the head of all things he's the creator nowhere except in the book of Colossians and Ephesians is the the uh, incidents or the the progression of creation identified as Jesus being the creator well how then are we supposed to view things both to the Colossians and the Ephesians Paul writes that these evil spirits are below Jesus because number one he's the one that created them that rebelled against God And number two, God's plan of redemption was to consummate or consolidate all power in heaven and earth eventually under the lordship of Jesus. So that's what these letters are about. That's what these letters um, came about as a result, especially the Colossian letter. Now, the Ephesian letter is a little bit different because Paul is writing to Colossians to straighten things out. But it's almost as if, and and again, if this is during Paul's second imprisonment we don't know how much longer he lives after this letter we know that this is the last letter that he writes to the churches or we we i say we know if you if you accept that he wrote it during his second imprisonment in acts chapter 28 then that would make sense or that would fit the chronology we do know that he wrote a couple of pastoral letters to individuals timothy and and um, uh, titus at the end of his life but that this is the last letter that he writes to the church well, why does he write this letter to the Ephesians if he's already dealt with the situation and covered the issue in the Colossians? The letter that he wrote to the Colossians. Well, apparently, Paul expands on it even further. Now, there's very little dispute or argument about who wrote the letter, but the letter to the Ephesians is a different style than anything else that Paul ever wrote because Paul is always, to the Romans, to the Corinthians, to the Galatians, and so forth, he's always hammering on the fact that Jesus has redeemed us, that it's the works, the works of the law profit nothing, it's only by grace and through faith are you saved and so forth. There's none of that in the Ephesian letter. I mean, it's the doctrine is there, the truth is there, but it's not this point by point by point lawyer defeating the opposition's points that Paul wrote, the style that he wrote in the other letters. Why not? Because Paul seems to have expanded on the idea or the, the, uh, uh, the truth that he wrote to the Colossians and leaves one final letter for all of the churches. God's Word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. 
to truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you with all patience through mighty signs and wonders. Why does he put patience in there? Folks, some, uh, one aspect of the apostles' ministry is that he outlasts the devil. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.